Welcome to Stories of Change and Creativity. I'm Judy Oscom, a professor in the School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Texas State University. Throughout my career as a television journalist, video producer, PR professional, and educator, I've always been drawn to stories, stories about people and how they deal with change and embrace creativity. Hope you enjoy listening. If you follow fashion, you might recognize the name Elisa Victoria Jimenez from her work with celebrity clients like Cher, Courtney Love, Sarah Jessica Parker, Serena Williams, and more. She makes spontaneous, on-the-spot couture, sewing with monofilament or fishing line with minimal cutting and stitching. Then Jimenez blesses each creation with special oil. She's been featured on the show Project Runway, and over the years, her designs have graced the pages of Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, and Elle. Alisa is the daughter of famed designer and fine artist Vicky Balcou and the late internationally known sculptor Luis Jimenez. I met Alisa in New York in late 2019. My daughter Danielle worked with her as part of our internship with the New York Arts Program. Just before we sat down for this interview, Alisa shared some of her design techniques with my daughters Danny and Jessica and our family friend Hannah. Alisa has a lot to share about creativity, learning, and life. Her style is unique, one of a kind, just like she is. Hope you enjoy our conversation. My name is Alisa Victoria Jimenez. And I am a transdiscipline artist or interdisciplinary artist, which means that I do many different things. I have a world called the hunger world that came to me or I developed starting at 23 and is a world populated by marionettes that range from three inches to 30 feet high. And it now is expressed through art and fashion and installation, performance, writing, photography, pretty much any of the arts, including life, that you can possibly imagine. And when you say, how do I describe myself? On, on the high and the low, I usually just say I'm a maker and a doer and a giver, because that seems pretty more honest. Well, and, and on this podcast, we talk about change and creativity and oh. your life you came from solid roots. So I am proudly a fourth generation Irish, Mexican, French from the border of Texas. And my mother was a graphic illustrator in the 60s and a solo parent, which was incredibly pioneering for her. And then eventually became the head designer for Fitz and Floyd for the last for 25 years. And now she is an active showing fine artist in the Texas area. Her parents were both artists as well. And my father was an internationally known sculptor named Luis Jimenez. My mother's name is Vicky Balcou. And his father was a sculptor and a creative thinker. He had a sign shop in El Paso. And my grandmother, Alicia Jimenez, who I knew as Mija, um, she taught me to sew from the time I was like two all the way up. And she, I would have to say, was one of my early super fan girls in that she always encouraged me to follow my heart and to do what I believed in. And she knew that I was quote unquote different. <laughs> I now say special um, in that I was always very voracious. I always desired to learn many things and know many things. And so early on, I was pushed into the arts a lot, um, but I also felt very strongly about academics. So I did grow grow into being a 
you know, five degree, you know, graduated cum laude kind of chick. And even the last week that I, my father was alive on the planet, he could still push my buttons by saying 3.8. That's all he had to say. And I'd be like 3.9, daddy, 3.9. Because graduating from graduate school, um, I went on full scholarship um, all for my undergraduate and my grad. Um, and that was because of grades and just general overachieverness. Um, but I also was raised to be very humble and to believe in your community and your family and your friends so that you could do better work in the world. As far as creativity, talk about how you approach the creative process, because we've just been fortunate enough to to go through one of your sewing circles or exhibitions. Well, in all truth... Um, starting at a very young age, when you're an art brat, which I'm very actively will say I'm an art brat, you grow up drawing and doing and drawing and making. So I had a sketchbook from the, the age I can remember. And um, when I was in high school, I went to the Arts Magnet High School in Dallas, Texas, um, proud graduate. And we just had a book that came out last year, so I had to kind of you know, mention that. Um, but incredible ideas. Um, I got introduced to the concept of the art is life, life is art movement. And so probably at around 15, I decided that my life was going to be my greatest artwork and that I was choosing to live a creative life, both economically and morally um, aligned with philosophies that I thought were good or would help people think about how to be better. And and so my mom did raise me a great deal with a lot of ideology that's very popular now, um, like law of attraction language, long before law of attraction. Uh, my grandmothers were spiritual and also very religious people. So I definitely grew up with the idea that we had an inherent responsibility to evolve and be better and higher vibrationally as we grew, even from the time we were like children. I love how you uh, inspire young people and your apprentices. And over the last few months, you've uh, we've had the pleasure of you working with my daughter, as a matter of fact. And I think I hear some of her language that she's learned from you. How do you, what is your role and how do you take that on to really pass things on to the next generation and connect with people? You have a way of connecting and a magnetism. Thank you. I'm all like chilly right now. I feel like I might want to cry. <laughs> That's true. Um, I have been very blessed by so many people who have believed in me my whole life that each place of excellence that I've gotten that other people from the outside could see as huge achievement always reminded me that it, I didn't do it alone that it was, you know, all these people, whether it was family or friends or even just people you meet for five seconds on the street that inspired me that the way I was was fine, even if it was like we use the language of unicorn now, but even if it was like I was a unicorn within a, like a whole like herd of ponies, like ponies are great too, but like when you're a unicorn, it's a little rough because you're like, everyone's like, what's the horn for? And you're like, well, it's a weapon and an ornament. Um, but in all truth, um, I just, as I got pulled into fashion, I felt this way about the artwork for sure. And that's why I did go into like performance and installation. I really desired the hunger world's philosophy is that the heart's hunger all can understand. So early on, I desired to do artwork that would create some sort of transformation. I was really inspired by the transcendentalist movement and the surrealist and the Dadaist somehow where you know, we were re early, we were talking about art and its relationship to, you know, people who don't do art. 
I was sort of under the philosophy that as an artist, you have 50%. The other 50% is your audience. You have no control over that 50%. But that is also like life. You only have control over your you. You don't really have control over the other. And when I got into the marionettes, you know, I heard and felt things like, you know, it's not how we break, it's how we mend that's important. And because of that, when I got pulled into fashion, which was basically like someone saying, like the universe put me in that position. Of course, then Vogue said yes, which always was really helpful. And then, you know, I got represented by Holly Solomon during the last like eight to 10 years of her life. And being, you know, being represented by one of the three heavy hitters of the 80s art world was like a dream come true. And she was an incredible mentor. Um, what I realized was that if I was going to be brought into this larger platform of fashion, which I just see as fashioning we're fashioning a life, we're fashioning a dress, then I had to be ethically aligned with every part of what I was doing, whether it was fashion, whether it was art. And then I also got pregnant with my daughter at 29 or 30-ish, my first year here in New York. And so that also really honed my, I must be a good example, even if I'm faulty to be able to say, I'm faulty because I'm human, but I still strive to be a better person. So that is always my initiative. And even when I did the, you know, the non-reality reality show, uh, Project Runway and Project Runway All-Stars, my pride in doing it, was, I was chosen for the very first, the very first episode, the very first filming. And even those people were like, Alisa, what are you doing here? Like, we know ethically, like you're against like overseas production and mass and all this. Like, what are you going to do if you win? And I was like, well, that'll just have to be part of the dialogue. But I was also involved in all these bigger projects. So I went to London for these bigger projects and got hit by a car and died and came back. And that was a thing. We call it the Lazarus year. I mean, not to be light of it, but, you know, like, you know, I'm a bit cheeky. And um, but I'm extremely grateful. After that, even doing that, I felt like when I was being interviewed by them, they were like, why do you want to do it now? Um, three years later, et cetera, I was like, I just would like to talk to the 10-year-old girl I was in Texas where I felt like no one understood me and that I read things that nobody was interested in and that if I was lucky, I maybe had like one really good little child friend. But most of my friends were like older people who understood that I was concerned about pollution and global warming, but I was only like seven, you know, or eight. So always to be a good example, even in the fact that I'm faulty. And that advice goes beyond artist. It's for an sure. advice uh, for everyone, right? Yeah. Well, there's nothing worse than arrogance. I'm sorry. I have like a little like, I'll be like, I'm not judgmental except for about the people who are judgmental, um, which I know is a bit of an oxymoron. But, but in all truth, it, it, it does go beyond that because we, especially now, and I will get on my little soapbox for a second, we are at a pivotal time in humanity's evolution where our conscious choices from where we spend our money to who we have as friends to who we partner with including ourselves, who should be the first partner that we have, um, is going to be crucial and critical for the future of the planet and of the population. And so I'm a huge advocate of, you know, where you spend your money is how you have a voice, who you give your money to, like, you know, buy from your friends, support your friends. I'm always telling young people, start their own companies, learn about business. Um, it's a little Machiavellian, you know, learn Learn your enemy well so that you can fight with integrity the way you choose to. And you had talked with us earlier about um, not just do fashion, but understand the business side of it. So I think a lot of our listeners might have that creative spark, but 
why is it important to know the other side of it to succeed? Well, I don't know if I've succeed, so then I get a little wiggly on that one because, you know, I have no 401k. Um, if anything I've learned is that I have to evolve my concept of non-permanent because I believe very strongly in it. Um, but I was very fortunate. My mother raised me that change is the only constant and the unknown the only constant like you know so she would say you know keep change as your best friend Lisa and the unknown as your constant lover if you know this about life you will be better you will be better for it um, fashion is changing right now this next wave of fashion hopefully will be seeding some of the things that I was fighting for in the late 90s and at the turn of the century which is was cold calling like 3M and DuPont and asking for biodegradable stretch fabrics and I was fighting with people, I mean, full on fighting with people that one of a kinds were just fine because, you know, we're all divine or small additions were important because not everybody got to have me. You know, these were artistic ideas that are now being embraced by an industry that is understanding that the way that we have evolved as an industrial society is not sustainable. It is just not sustainable. So my learning the business along with the art is a way of ensuring your value. So I don't come from it from the point of view of like, oh, business is bad and you shouldn't know about it. I have been a solo entrepreneur for 25 years legitimately, uh, meaning that like doing it consciously, but I have been doing it since I was like seven years old and like hand drawing t-shirts or like upcycling and painting on clothes or, you know, getting paid by people to trick out their t-shirts or trick out their pants or, you know, and trick now is the, was the word I use because, you know, I grew up in Texas and New Mexico, it's a car boy term, you know, so I was always attempting to adopt language that was very masculine to apply it to what I was doing because I'm also one of the first waves of feminism and I felt like, you know, this is important. We need to think about how to survive and thrive in what we do. And so you have to know the business because we live in a world that is business. But more importantly, that's how we change business. So you learn about business, you learn about corporate, and then you tweak it so that it's conscientious and it's socially relevant. You might even be able to create a situation where every person that works for you has stock in your company. What a shocking idea. Every person that works for your company has stock in your company, and then they also get an automatic, you know, so all these things can be applied, but business has to change now for the planet as well. You talked about empathy, and we'll kind of, uh, why why is there a need for more empathy? People oh. might say business is business, and... Oh, well, so you've hit on a tone because, you know, I'm like super cheeky. All my friends always hear me saying this. So I'm always about saying empathy is a lost art. And it is because my grandmothers really raised me. My grandmothers had been through depressions and wars and racism and gender isms and all the ism isms that will tie you down like a terrible fetter. And um, I think that empathy is the lost art. If we don't to have no empathy. People without empathy is actually the definition of a psychopath. And so we have to evolve as a planet to understand that empathy is one of the core. Next comes compassion, because if you don't see someone else as like you, then you treat them terribly. But if you see another like you, you treat them like you would like to be treated. That goes beyond religion. That goes beyond a lot of every, every kind of dogma. That's just kindness and last I checked we're called human kind great way to end it 
Thank you very much. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Stories of Change and Creativity. Check out the show notes for more information about this episode. You can find this podcast on any of your favorite streaming platforms. Please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with a friend. If you have a story to tell or know someone who does, reach out to me at judyoscom.com or drjudyoscom at gmail.com. That's drjudyoscom at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.